That reading is from Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd to my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them. The star, sorry, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. This is God's word. Let me have my welcome. My name is Phil. I'm the associate vicar here, and it's lovely to be with you this morning. It's very nice that you've been able to join us if you're here for the first time. We're going to pray and then think briefly about the hope of Christmas. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that into our dark world you have brought your light. Help us, we pray, to recognize truth. And help us, we pray, to rejoice in hope. Amen. It is that time of year when people put together reviews of 2019, and I have to say this year I pity them because there are not going to be a lot of laughs as we look back at 2019. I I was looking through a quiz of the year and it was pretty miserable reading. I mean, the, the only genuinely funny thing I think that happened in 2019 was the gorilla selfie which went round the world of... uh, uh, I think those are people in, in a costume, but apparently they're, they're, the park ranger said, no, no, this is what they do. They just like posing for selfies. Uh, why shouldn't they? Um, I won't make any comments about evolution at this point. The, uh, uh, but when you look around the world, it's not been a year full of highlights for humanity. Politically, we've uh, had an election dominated by fake news and empty promises, And I think the mood of the electorate was uh, captured rather well by the Matt cartoon the morning after the election. Did you see this? Before we come together to heal our divided country, let us take a moment to gloat. Uh, Which is pretty much what we expect from our politicians, sadly. Environmentally, we've been told we are now past the point of no return. Rising sea levels are beginning to wipe out coastal communities. Atmospheric CO2 continues to rise and forest cover continues to shrink. Economically, well, who knows what will happen next year, but this year we know objectively that average families are poorer and for the first time in generations, life expectancy in Britain has gone down after a relentless upward trend. Socially, 
well, socially, we are not a healthy society. 18 female MPs decided not to stand for re-election. And I listened to a, a long interview with them driving back uh, one evening, a number of them, and almost all of them cited as the primary driver for not standing for re-election the abuse that they received, them and their families, on an almost daily basis from the great British public. One prominent uh, shadow cabinet MP said she received between 100 and 1,000 abusive tweets every single day. There's a lot of divisive hostility. And it's not just words. Knife crimes up over 7% last year, more than 44,000 stabbings. Internationally, the 70th anniversary of NATO, far from a demonstration of the strength and a celebration of security, was were quite an unsettling gathering as we realize the alliance is crumbling and who knows how long it will hold for. Politically, socially, economically, militarily, things do feel rather bleak. That's not mentioned the weather even of December. It's, it feels a bit hopeless. And then at the end of the year, hope received its most sickening wound of all as a terrorist out on license, being rehabilitated, went on a knife rampage at an event hosted by an organization which helps to rehabilitate and reintegrate offenders into society. And worse still, the only consensus amongst our politicians in how to respond to that was, well, there's political capital to be made from cheap shots. Now, it seems to me there are two ways that we can respond and often do respond to the hopelessness that we see around us. And the first is that we can become cynical, which is something at which we Brits absolutely excel. So at least let's pat ourselves on the back for that. And in a cynical culture, any talk of hope can just sound childish. And we find ourselves looking down on, on the people who are foolish enough to think there is such a thing. But deep down, even the most cynical of us wants there to be hope, wants things to be better. In fact, we need hope to live. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. We need hope, even though we're cynical. The other way, of course, we respond is escapism. There was a, the Guardian's movie critic recently argued, why on earth has there been such a resurgence of, uh, of musicals, Rocket Man, La La Land, and things like that? And he said, I think it's quite simple. We just don't want to face the reality we live in. And so increasingly, we want our movies to be escapist. That's why we're all binge-watching Love Actually, The Holiday, and Home Alone yet again, and surging to the cinema for the sake of the grandchildren to watch Star Wars. We just, we just want to escape what's out there. But you don't have to go to a cinema to escape the problems. December, we party them away. Do you know what the estimated alcohol by unit intake for Great Britain will be between uh, the beginning of Christmas Eve and the end of New Year's Day? How many units do you think? Six billion. Yep, six billion units. Literally drowning out the darkness. The only problem, of course, is you wake up to exactly the same world the next morning, only with a stinking headache. And into this world, into this world, the real message of Christmas from the Bible that we've had read this morning is a message of hope, not hope as a, a flickering candle that you worry a gust of wind might blow out, but hope as a glorious sunrise after a dark, cold night. And three quick things about this hope from the first reading we had from Mark's Gospel, um, his reliable historical eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Just three quick things. Hope for those who don't believe in fairy tale, hope that gets to the heart of the matter, 
and I hope you can trust. Now, we all know Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and with chronological snobbery, we look back and smile at the credulous, pre-scientific people who believed such silly fairy tales. Only, when you read the text, that's not how it played out. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. It turns out Joseph had concentrated in his biology classes at school. And he knows babies require the involvement of both a woman and a man, and if the man wasn't him. He doesn't swallow the immaculate conception story. He's not a credulous simpleton. He is, however, a kind man. He doesn't want Mary uh, disgraced or punished for adultery, which is extraordinary when you think about it. Planning his wedding, finds his fiancée is pregnant through somebody else, and yet doesn't lash out. Extraordinarily kind man he is. Instead, he'll divorce her quietly to spare her the shame. The key thing, though, is not his compassion. It is his skepticism. You see, it turns out back then people didn't believe in virgin births either. It takes the appearance of an angel to convince him of Mary's explanation of divine involvement. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, actually, it has never been part of the Christian message to deny that we live in a world, in a cosmos of regular scientific laws. Actually, the Christian message only makes sense if we live in a world of regular, observable scientific constants. You see, the, the message at the heart of Christmas is not, we live in a magical world where virgins become pregnant all the time. The message at the heart of Christmas is we live in a scientific world where virgins cannot and do not become pregnant. So when a virgin did become pregnant, it means that someone with the power to interrupt our universe, to break the laws of nature he had established, is intruding from the outside. So if you think of our universe as a great wheel that turns predictably, measurably, reliably, then that first Christmas... God jabbed a stick through the spokes. He tore a hole in the fabric of reality, and he intervened. But why would he do that? Uh, what is the issue, in other words, that's so serious that God decides to break the rules he established and intervene? And the answer comes in the first of the two names that are given to the baby, as we see a hope that gets to the heart of the matter. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son, the angel says, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus or Yeshua, God saves from our sins. Sin is the issue that Jesus came to address. Not inequality, not disease, not injustice. In God's mind, the big issue as he looks out at our world, the issue that gets him up off the couch, if you like, and active and engaged is sin. Sin is the thing that he sees they can't sort out, I need to save them from. Now we get confused by that because we tend to think of sin as a bit of overindulgence at the office Christmas party. But God has something far more serious in mind than a predilection for too much chocolate and mulled wine or a little bit of naughtiness under the mistletoe. 
Let me, let me try to explain. A couple of weeks ago now, um, as we were getting dressed, my wife noticed water cascading down through the light in the bedroom ceiling, which was less than ideal for a number of reasons. And I demonstrated the extent of my DIY expertise by getting a bucket. And that was about the end of it. When the maintenance guy came round, he didn't, though, bring a better bucket or seek to waterproof the electrics and the light fitting. He got out onto the roof to find what was causing the problem. And he quickly found that the central gutter uh, was full of moss and crud and filth and goodness knows what else. And he said, look, until that's cleaned out, then every time it rains, your light fittings will double up as water taps. And sin is basically the crud in our hearts that leads to all the external problems in our world. The selfishness, the greed, the self-absorption, the hatred, the envy, and the bitterness, the clambering over others to get ahead, the prejudice against those who are different, the lack of real, active love or concern for the poor and the homeless. Those are the leaks, but they're caused by sin. And those leaks exist in all of our lives because all of our hearts are full of crud. Now, the reason that sin causes all those leaks, all those problems in the world, is that fundamentally sin is turning away from God and turning away from other people and turning in on myself, seeing me as the center of things, me as the most important person in my life. Now, it doesn't lead all of us to murder, but it does lead all of us to use other people and to trample on those who get in our way, to excuse ourselves while condemning others. And that is why God doesn't send a teacher to the world, or a doctor, or an economist, or a political revolutionary. Because God has a far grander purpose that first Christmas. He wants to deal with the root cause. He wants to deal with the disease and not the symptoms. The sin that separates proud, rebellious people like us from the good and the kind and the glorious God above. And so Jesus came to save us. And he does it by dying for us because the baby born in the rough wooden manger grows up to be the man who is nailed to a rough wooden cross. And on the cross, he was, he was dying to pay for our sin. He was dying to break the power of sin over us. He was dying to restore us to relationship to the good and kind God. He came not as a better bucket for our drips, but a cleaning out of crud. See, that's why it's hope that gets to the heart of, ma of the matter that comes at Christmas. Because it's a hope of sin dealt with, the crud cleaned out. Thirdly, it's a hope you can trust. Now, uh, in our house, um, there are at least two, probably three, four people who are rather excited about the arrival of Santa Claus. You have to always look around and just check the ages. Uh, but the arrival of Santa is, um, is causing quite a lot of excitement. But come Christmas morning, uh, the kids will not be asking, is Santa still here? Because they're not bothered about his presence, C-E. They're bothered about his presence. They want to know, has he been and left us lots of loot? That's, that's what people want. Of course, we adults are different. Uh, but no one's bothered about, it'd be a bit weird if Santa was still there. I mean, creepy old man still in the room. You're like, no, no. <laughs> you just want the stuff he brings. You don't really want him. But sometimes having the presence of somebody with you is everything. It's what really matters. 
Uh, soon after I, I moved to London, uh, just after graduating uh, two or three years ago, the, uh, um, uh, I went to a flat warming of friends in an up-and-coming area. No Starbucks, high street crime. And the, it was a very simple email. We still had email back then. Very simple email came round. It said, exit Kennington Tube, turn right, run. <laughs> that was the instruction. It was, like, it's, it was a little bit fruity back then. And uh, because none of us could afford to live in nice areas, we spent an awful lot of time wandering around just waiting to be mugged when you're visiting friends back then. Now, I was, uh, I was watching uh, the news quite recently of uh, Anthony Joshua. Did you see him win the, uh, the World Heavyweight Boxing uh, title? He's quite, quite an intimidating bloke, six foot six, 17 and a bit stone of him. I was thinking how different life would have been back then if, if he had been with me. If uh, every time somebody looked a little bit funny at you as you came out of the tube, he said, I'm with him. Oh, that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? Wherever you go, he's with me. Problem solved. Doesn't really matter where you wander around if he's with you. And the second name given to the baby explains why hope arrives in solid form at Christmas. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not a man with us who has a unique experience of God. Uh, Not a a teacher with us who can tell us amazing truths we could never discover ourselves about God. But God himself with us. Jesus is a man, but also God. Fully human, fully divine. God physically present. God in skin. That's what's so extraordinary about the hope that comes at Christmas. God doesn't just speak words of hope to us from the sky. He steps inside his creation and becomes a creature. And he didn't just come for a state visit, sort of wave from the carriage and return. That first Christmas, God came to stay. He came as a baby and he grew to be a man. He lived a human life. He lived among us as one of us. God with us which is remarkable to our heads, but it is just what God's word had always promised. And when you look through the Old Testament, you see God's God's saving work always seems to come through some kind of unlikely birth throughout the Old Testament as it talks tells the story of God's involvement with humanity. Whenever God's getting involved and, and, and helping his people, there's almost always some kind of a strange birth involved. And Matthew in verse 23, is quoting something said to the prophet Isaiah 700 years beforehand. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, the sign for a beleaguered people in Isaiah's day, we were studying this earlier in the term, was that a a young girl or virgin, same word in Hebrew, would have a baby, a sign that God was with them. This baby that was born would be a sign of God's hope and God's presence with them. And so when a literal virgin has a baby, Matthew sees that this pattern, which is all over the Bible, this pattern has reached its fulfillment. Not just a sign of God with us anymore, but the reality of God physically present with his people. I'm not sure what you face in your life right now. 
But here is a message of hope. God is with you. Not pie-in-the-sky hope for those gullible enough to believe, but God-guaranteed hope for a world in need. A hope that's underwritten by God's power, but also God's presence. A hope that can handle your darkest fear, whatever it is. It's a hope that can even handle death itself, for Jesus, God with us, conquered the grave and lives today. It's a solid hope but because it's the hope of God's presence, God's powerful presence, God with us, God with you and me. And the wondrous news of Christmas is that in spite of everything we've done to each other and in spite of the way that as humanity we've ignored our creator, God didn't come down against us that first Christmas to judge us. He came down to be with us, to save us. And that hope is held out to every single one of us this morning in the person of Jesus Christ. It is the hope that you can be something better. It's the hope that our world will one day be something better. It's the hope that there is something better for us. Well, it's been a long time since Jesus came. What difference has he made? I think I saw the most, uh, a very powerful demonstration of this in a Dallas courtroom video. The trial of Amber Geyer, an off-duty white cop, who walked into the wrong apartment when she got home September 2018, and she shot the black man who lived there. She thought he was an intruder, she said, and shot him dead, a guy called Botham Jean. And October the 1st, she was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 10 years. And Botham's brother, Brandt, was allowed to give the victim impact statement in court. But it was unlike any victim impact statement you'll ever see. He said to her... You can see the video, if you are truly sorry, I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I love you just like anyone else. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I want the best for you. And I wasn't ever going to say this in front of my family or anyone. But I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want. And the best would be to give your life to Christ Jesus. Uh, The cop who murdered his brother is sobbing at this point. And he asks the judge if he would be allowed to go over to the stand and to comfort her. And the judge thinks for a moment and gives him permission. It's this extraordinary scene of this man with the murdered brother comes down from the witness stand and goes across to the dock and embraces, comforts this broken woman who has murdered his brother. A man who has been forgiven his sins by God through Jesus and so is able now to forgive all manner of offenses of other people. Now, it sounds a bit ridiculous. It's so over the top. It's so beyond what almost any of us might have to deal with. But it is a demonstration of the power that comes with the presence of Jesus, of the hope that Jesus brings The hope that comes as he deals with the crud in our hearts and forgives our sins. Humanly, it's something impossible. But as we come to Jesus, as you come to Jesus this Christmas, whether for the first time or for the umpteenth time, and you receive the forgiveness that he brings, where his healing, forgiving, reconciling power flows out through you and into our families, our friendships, and our communities bringing the hope that our world desperately, desperately needs. Come to Jesus the first time, and you can enjoy an early Christmas present this morning. 
A present where, uh, bizarrely, you give something, all of your guilt and shame. You give it to God, and he gives you forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life. All of us can dig deeper into the truth about Jesus this Christmas. All of us need to know more of his hope, his power with us. And so I would encourage all of us to take time this Christmas. Take time to remember, to reflect, to learn, to explore more, so that you and I can know the hope that is at the heart of Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that at the heart of Christmas is hope, not a, not a, a weak, empty hope for credulous people who are desperate, but a God-guaranteed hope that comes in the, in the historical reality of you coming down in the person of Jesus Christ to be with us, and a hope that gets to the heart of the human problem, dealing with our sin changing our hearts. Help us, we pray, this Christmas, whether for the first time or whether for the umpteenth time, to come back to Christ, to explore his hope, to receive his forgiveness. And we pray that that hope might flow through us, that we might be agents for love and reconciliation and forgiveness in our families, in our friendships, in our communities, so that the world might see that God is with us in Jesus Christ, and he is here for all of us even today. Amen.